Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, Kate Abdo joins me to talk about her move from Sky Sports TV in London to her new full-time gig covering soccer for Fox Sports in Los Angeles. She also tells the story behind her incredible ability to do television work in four languages, English, Spanish, French, and German. I took languages at a university in Spain, so I was doing translation interpreting and doing it in and out of the Spanish with German, with French, with English. And then on the back of that felt that I also needed to spend some time in Germany, spend some time in France, because it's great to learn out of a book. But what you often find with the language is when you learn out of a book, you get to the place and you still don't understand anything because everything sounds a whole lot different. All that and more coming up. Our guest today is one of my favorite people in sports media, and she has some fantastic news. After spending her career in Europe, most recently in London for Sky Sports, Kate Abdo has just moved to Los Angeles to work full-time for Fox Sports. Congratulations, Kate, and thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. Yeah, I'm massively excited. It's a really great move, and it feels like it's been a long time coming, long time waiting for this to happen, so it's fantastic for this to be here. Well, you've done some work for Fox Sports on loan before, before this transfer has taken place, uh, from the 2015 Women's World Cup to various tournament draw shows to the 12-hour FIFA presidential election broadcast with me last year <laughs> that I'm assuming might be the lowest-rated broadcast you've ever done. Uh what, what led to your decision to move to L.A. and work here for Fox Sports? You and I were the stars of that show, Grant. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's just it's a fantastic opportunity. There's no question about that. Um, definitely in the, the opportunities I have had to work with Fox, what you can see is that soccer, I think, is still a growing market in the UK, whereas, uh, sorry, in the US, whereas I think in the UK, it's probably very saturated. It's been, you know, football's been been king for an awfully long time uh, in the UK, whereas it feels that in the US, it's still that growth market. Uh, I love the energy that Americans have for soccer and, and for their sports broadcasting in general. Um, you know, I think football's fun. And often in the UK, it feels like at times, we've forgotten that. And uh, we take it very seriously. We take ourselves very seriously when we're talking about it. And it's great to see the fun that Americans have with it while still obviously knowing that, you know, results matter to people, results matter to the fans exactly the same, but uh, it just feels that uh, there's still that kind of that energy that buzz around it, which is great. So of all of the adjustments that you're making here, are you going to have to adjust to saying soccer? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I do slip still. I definitely still slip. I'm hoping that, um, that I'm going to get that sorted by the time I'm on air um, at Fox. I, I think, you know, obviously with the jobs I have done with Fox throughout the years, I, I've, I've kind of slipped into it when I'm there. When I'm, when I'm here, I'm in the U.S. mode. But, yeah, definitely my default still football. <laughs> so tell me, what will you be doing for Fox? What are the plans? Uh, so the plans are hopefully getting uh, kicked off with some FA Cups, some Bundesliga. So basically a lot of, you know, the, the general soccer properties that they do have at Fox have gone big into football, as you know. They've really invested in it. So there's a lot going on with FA Cup, Europa League, Champions League. Europa League, hopefully, they'll be doing some of that too. Then there's the World Cups, which, you know, for any sports presenter is just the absolute pinnacle. So that's something I'm really excited about too. So I assume you'll be working in English most of the time here, but... You have this incredible talent of speaking in. How many languages do you speak and work in? Uh, uh, you know, it's not as impressive as it sounds. I think if you grow up in Europe, you may be a bit more used to it. Um, I speak and work in four. 
So I've done TV in Spanish and French. Spanish, I know you have to. French, German, and then English, obviously. Well, it's one thing to be able to speak the language. I learned this because I've done a little bit of Spanish work. I called a game on Univision last year. Mm. It's one thing to be able to speak it. It's another thing to be able to work in it. Mm -hmm. Did you have to make that adjustment as well? Yeah, do you know, I think the the one language I found it really difficult with was was German because I think German is is generally a very it's quite straight, it's quite harsh. Um there's not a lot of emotion contained within the language and so for you to kind of be yourself on screen and have fun with something, I I found the language a little bit restrictive in that and I guess you have to get used to your your German voice. Who am I in Germany? Um <laughs> and that took me a while and also you know just daft things like with the autocue you know whenever we're reading from the from the prompter the sentence order in german is all messed up so your verbs at the back so for you to actually understand you know it, it was rolling news that i was doing so often you haven't prepared exactly what you're about to read it might just come straight in it's breaking news you have to roll with it and often to kind of make sense of the words that were jumbled in order for me as an english person took some time to get used to but i feel like Once you've done that, if you've mastered it, if you you know if you've called a game in Spanish, now sitting back and calling a game in English, you'll think, "Hey, this is easy." So that's kind of the the plus to it. So, where did you pick up these languages to that degree of fluency? I think I was a, a, a bit of a gypsy uh, when I was younger. I I grew up in Manchester but decided I wanted to to leave the UK and go off and do just uh, travel around a little bit. I went over to Spain. I was actually only intending to stay a year. and i just really enjoyed my time over there i enjoyed learning languages it was a language i hadn't been able to learn at school in the uk um wasn't offered so i did i think maybe 6 months learning the language i did uh, the equivalent of the i don't know what would you call it a high school diploma or something to get into university decided i wanted to stay over there did university um and decided to to carry on with languages just because it was probably the one area i felt i'd really achieved in at school that i felt like i actually enjoyed spending time learning and i think that's always important if you're going to dedicate yourself to doing something you want to enjoy it as well and so then i i took languages at a university in spain so i was doing translation interpreting and doing it in and out of the spanish with german with french with english and then on the back of that felt that i also needed to spend some time in germany spend some time in france because it's great to learn out of a book but what you often find with the languages when you learn out of a book you get to the place and you still don't understand anything because everything sounds a whole lot different so um i just moved over then to germany spent some time over there moved over to france spent some time over there just doing kind of makeshift jobs for a while to make sure that i was learning the languages and then actually my first professional opportunity came came in Germany when I had graduated so then I moved back to Germany more permanently then. So, have you always done sports or how did you get into the sports realm? Um, it, it, sports was always a part of my life. My parents were both um physical education teachers growing up, so it was very much kind of part of the routine. We had, you know, sports clubs that we were sent to every single night, uh every weekend as well. Uh, for me, for my brother, I think that was fantastic. We loved it. For my sister, it was definitely a source of contention, not something that she enjoyed. But you know, there was always that kind of sports was always very present. My parents are big football fans, big soccer fans. Sorry, uh, there we go. Man United uh, for my dad, and my mom's a big Liverpool fan. So, you know, I, I kind of grew up every weekend. My dad and my brother would go off to the game. I wouldn't be invited. It was boys' territory only, and me and my mom would sit at home and watch, you know, the games on TV. or listen to it on the radio if it wasn't on TV because those those days it wasn't always 
so I think sports is always part of my my consciousness and a big part of of life. And then this first opportunity I was given professionally was actually at a TV station in Germany. It wasn't because I wanted to pursue television. It was because I wanted to pursue languages. And they worked in a whole bunch of different languages. It was the the German kind of public broadcaster called DWTV. They broadcast in Spanish and English and in German in, in a bunch of languages that I also worked in. And I was put on the business desk, which was definitely not my forte, ah. uh, talking about stocks and shares in German. And, you know, I, I held my own. I did OK, but I, I did keep pushing and saying, look, I really think I'd be a more natural fit for the sports department. Could you maybe try me over there? I, I just felt like I would get a different level of enjoyment out of it. And uh, that's where they put me eventually after much pushing. And, you know, it certainly was a better fit. I had gotten into the Bundesliga when I was living over there because obviously it was the league that was on TV and I was enjoying that and I was going to games as well. So I really kind of delved into the football there. And then funnily enough, one of their TV presenters had a, a big row, stormed out. They quickly needed somebody to jump in who understood the system, who knew knew what the shows looked like, knew how they did their television shows. And, and they asked me if I would do a casting. So that was kind of where my, my foot into TV came. And that was history, apparently. Yeah, one day's training, and that was that on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> so where else have you worked over the years before joining Fox Sports? So from DWTV in Germany, which was in Berlin, I was then, uh, I actually was invited over to Atlanta um, by CNN and did some, spent a day with them, did some casting, some interviews, and they then gave me a job, uh, which was based in London, actually. They just did the whole interview process over the main headquarters in Atlanta. So I was in at CNN doing the World Sports Show, which was a lot of fun. It was the first time that I'd really gotten to, you know, you had a, an entire show that you had to write yourself. I think uh, at DWTV, it had been a lot of features, a lot of packages that you were throwing to, whereas this was, you know, really half an hour of just straight reading and, and going through the sports news. And it was it was fun because it, as well, it was obviously a very different target. You know, Germany had been very Bundesliga heavy, very soccer heavy as well, whereas CNN is catering to an, inter, catering to an international audience that has uh, an interest in global sports. So it was cricket, it was NFL, it was baseball, it was, you know, just a, a massive range of sports that I suddenly felt I had to scrabble and kind of get to terms with. And then from CNN, I had the opportunity to go to Sky Germany. They were looking for, um, they basically wanted an, an international face who, who was used to doing rolling news and could speak German, uh, obviously fluently, and could speak English. They were looking to launch a 24-hour news network, sports news network, which they'd never had before in Germany. It was kind of a big venture that Sky was investing heavily into. And they asked me then to, to go ahead and, and be on that team that launched that, which was really exciting because that was a... You know, initially, I think there was 12 of us on the team. Obviously, it's a, it's a big operation now. But back then, it, to be involved in that planning side of things, I got to sit in the control room whilst all the other TV presenters had to do their castings. I got to pick the rest of the team. You know, it's a, a kind of experience that you, I'll never repeat that. It was <laughs> it was great to, to feel as well that you have kind of some input. That's so unusual for a presenter. So right. I think that was fantastic. Okay. And after Germany, where did you go? After Germany, uh, I then headed over to their sister station, which is Sky in the UK. They were looking for a, a female face to host the Champions League, which they had still had the rights to at the time. They actually lost them once I signed um, to do that, which didn't work out very well. But then, uh, they, you know, they've got, again, they're really heavily invested in, in soccer and they had a lot of other um, properties. So I would do the Spanish football for them, which was really fun as well to get used to a different league, which again, I'd, I'd lived in Spain for four years in total. I, uh, Malaga was my team when I was over there um, because that was the team that the family I was staying with 
used to go to every weekend. They were season ticket holders. So it was fun to be back involved in, in La Liga again. Now, what is your team in each of the countries, I guess, that you've had a representation in, whether it's England, Germany, you said Malaga and Spain? Yeah, definitely probably Malaga and Spain, because like I said, with the family, I used to go to the stands. And, you know, back then it was, this was pre the the big investment in Malaga. So it wasn't a team that was doing particularly well, but it was just fun to be part of the, the family excursion to La Rosaleda every weekend. It was, that was great. I think in Germany, it's difficult because I live both in Berlin and in Munich. I was based in both for quite a considerable amount of time. I've, I've spent probably eight years in total, I think, in Germany. I have a real soft spot for Bayern, but then I always think it's the kind of team you're not supposed to like because they're the, you know, the obvious contenders. <laughs> I think everybody who is probably a neutral fan in Germany over the last years, again, had a soft spot for Dortmund, you know, especially a few years ago when they were really coming up strong and, and challenging Bayern and they had Jurgen Klopp at the head of it. You, you couldn't help but like them. Right. But, you know, I also really enjoy seeing Hertha doing so well because I was based in, in Berlin. I went to a few of their games with my dad and to see them now under Paul Gardai doing so well is, you know, it's, it's incredible because they were, again, a team that never really were up there. They were always, you know, relegation candidates. Mm-hmm. In France, I lived in Paris, so I used to go to PSG. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, pre the times that they were, you know, the, the kind of the size and the caliber of the club that they are now. But uh, growing up, it was Manchester United Okay. Uh, for me. Uh, I, I, there used to be kind of a, a wrestling match between my parents. They would each buy me shirts. My mom would buy me the Liverpool shirts. My dad would buy me the Man United shirts. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, just at the time, I probably I just wanted I wanted my dad and my brother to think I was cooler. So I went with Man United. I'm very glad, by the way, that you have Malaga as well, because if you're a Bayern fan, a Man United fan, I might accuse you of being a front runner. Kate. <laughs> not these days with Manchester United. It's not a given. <laughs> I do like to tell people I don't have a team that I grew up with because we literally did not have an outdoor mm-hmm. soccer league when I was growing up in uh, the United States. So, you know, when people ask me what my team is, it's kind of crazy, actually, say Boca Juniors, because I lived in Argentina and that's when I fell in love with the sport. Yeah. But... I do find it interesting talking to people who grew up with it over in England that everyone does have a team and they're sort of Mm -hmm. upfront about it. And, you know, also saying that, look, this isn't going to have an impact on how I present, you know, the FA Cup or or whatever, you know, but it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, Do you feel that the most people who are soccer fans in the U.S. will have an MLS team and a European team or do they generally just stick to the American League? I think it depends on the person. And I'm curious, as you experience living in the U.S. and becoming part of this soccer culture even more, how you find it out in L.A. and elsewhere, because some people are MLS fans. There's a lot of people in the U.S. who just don't follow MLS. They think it's beneath them and they have like a European Mm -hmm. team. And it just depends, you know, on I'm running into more and more people who do you have an MLS team and a team in England or a team on the continent? Uh, Or, you know, and it's a completely different story too, in the US, uh, Mexican league teams are very popular Mm -hmm. in various places. So it's just a very interesting culture here. And I'm, I'm curious to know kind of what, how you've seen US soccer culture and US soccer media develop and how people talk about it over in England you know, what are people seeing when they talk about the U.S. over there? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's migrated. I think that's probably changed quite a lot uh, over the past few years uh, in a positive way as well in that I think that people, you know, there's a lot of Euro snobbery 
generally people used to just see America as a destination for players that are past their best to get a payday at the mm-hmm. end of a career. It was kind of a nice way to go out. Franz Beckenbauer did it, you know, it was seen as the model. Whereas now, you know, I think that really changed with a number of players who people would see as in their prime. You know, the Jermaine Defoe move, I think, was really interesting. Obviously, that didn't work out completely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it set a real precedent that players can can choose the MLS as a destination before they are forced out of playing at the level of the Premier League or something. Um, and I think that that's just it's commanded a new level of respect over in Europe. And, you know, the MLS is, is one of the properties that Sky, so the broadcaster I was with in the UK, is now invested in as well. And it gets decent viewing figures, which is mm. something that I think a few years ago probably wouldn't have happened because there was just an inherent snobbery around that, which I think is, you know, being chipped away at, which is great. So I'm always interested in cross-cultural comparisons, and I think you're a perfect person to ask about this. What, when you look at kind of the style of broadcasting sports in Mm. the UK and compare that to what you've seen of the style of broadcasting in the United States when it comes to soccer, what are the similarities? What are the differences? You know, as similarities are obviously, you know, that you go through the motions in terms of you're going to be building up to a game, you're analyzing the key points in a game that, uh, you know, that's the, the structure by and large is, is similar. I think there's a there's a looseness to the broadcasting in America. I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, in a positive sense. Um, just what I was saying before, and that I feel that we can often uh, take ourselves a little bit too seriously in the UK. I feel that it's also a little bit loaded with criticism. The analysis in in the UK it can often feel that there's almost a, a hostility between the the analysts and the teams that they're talking about, the managers that they're talking about. It it becomes a very negative analysis, and I think that what I, from what I could tell and what I certainly enjoyed about working with Fox was obviously you're going to point out what's going wrong. You're going to talk about the difficult subjects, but it didn't feel negative. It didn't feel like anybody was being gotten at. It just felt that we were you know, doing a good job of analyzing the game, but also still in allowing people to feel that this was an enjoyable experience, that this was um, a positive experience because sports is entertainment. And I think that's what's gone missing uh, at times, not always, but at times in the UK, whereas I think that that is definitely, definitely understood in the US. Interesting. You know, you worked your first big event for Fox Sports was the Women's World Cup in 2015, yeah. which full disclosure here, in case my our listeners don't know, I also worked for Fox Sports. So I you know, want to make sure that's out there and really enjoyed that experience with you and everyone else. And it turned out to be mm-hmm. very successful in terms of the U.S. winning that World Cup. And also the ratings and audiences were extremely high. When you look back at that experience in 2015, what stands out to you? Oh, gosh, what stands out? That's a difficult question, because for me, it was an incredible experience. I'd never worked on a a World Cup before, so I'd never had the opportunity to kind of... It's a different experience. You get thrown together with people. It's not like, you know, doing a Saturday and a Sunday and just reuniting once a week with with a team. You're really... I think your personal, your interpersonal relationships are really tested because you spend such a long time uh, with people. And for us to spend that amount of time together, often, you know, you're working long hours, you haven't eaten, you're, you know, you're cranky, you've not slept enough. And for us to have the fun that we had, that scenario, I think, was was really incredible. I think it was a fantastic group of people, a really good team, to Fox's credit, that they had put together there. And I think that Fox made all of us feel massively supported, which really stood out to me. I really felt that they were absolutely behind this. They wanted this to succeed. I've never seen, you know, we always, 
American fans are always visibly very, very much so the fans. You know, they, they'll dress up, they'll really get into the spirit of it. But I, I really felt that and I kind of got carried away with it in at our base where we were because you just felt that it mattered so much to everybody that not just our broadcasting was a success but the u.s soccer team actually found their success as well and that was that was a, a great thing to be part of now here's a question for you kate we like to have fun with brad friedel who works for fox about his <laughs> okay. accent having changed yeah. over the years from very midwestern ohio to this sort of hybrid after he spent more than a decade living in england are you at all concerned about your accent changing a little bit, yes, because I do tend to migrate, I think. Uh, because You know, I haven't lived up until these last couple of years when I was working back with Sky. I hadn't lived in the in the UK for any period of time for, God, I don't know, 18 years. So it really felt like I had transitioned a little bit with my accent because I didn't spend a lot of time speaking English. So then when the people you were speaking English with often had American accents because Germans, for example, always learn with an American accent. And you just, I think because of my ability to pick up languages, I often pick up accents as well. And I know that my mom has had very stern words with me that I'm not to go home speaking like an American. She's not happy about that. <laughs> now, am I right that because Women's World Cup 2015 was at least partially during Ramadan, that you could not eat until sundown, which was very late in Vancouver? Yeah, that, that was that crankiness that I was talking about, which probably I was more affected by than anyone else. Um, yeah, that's right. It was, uh, Ramadan was falling in the summer at that point, which meant it meant long days, especially, you know, in Vancouver. I, I, God, I can't remember. I think uh, the sun came up pretty early in the morning, maybe four or five. I don't remember. And it was going down at, at 10. Uh, I mean, it worked quite well for me in terms of I was doing the, the wrap up show, kind of wrapping up the action mm -hmm. of the day. So that pretty much by the time our show was off air, I was good to go. I could eat, I could drink, I could enjoy myself for a few hours. You know, I think it's people think it's harder than than it actually is. It's, for me, it's really about mind over matter. I'm not going to pretend it's, it's always fun and it's always easy, but certainly if you set your mind to it, you know, I think the biggest battle is just putting those thoughts to one side, constantly thinking, should I have something? Should I eat something? Am I okay? You know, actually, no, I'll, I'll be fine. I can get through a few hours without some food and water. That's okay. That's incredible. I had forgotten actually that until I, I was thinking about preparing for this interview. But to me, that's quite an achievement. Is that basically going to be the case at any summer tournament? I don't know the calendar of Ramadan, but any big summer tournament you work at? It's a it's a lunar calendar. So actually, it migrates throughout the year. I mean, it doesn't move by much each year. So again, it was in the summer this year and, and probably will be, you know, it'll be in the summer next year, whether it will coincide with the Confederation Cup, which we have coming up in the summer, I'm not sure. But you know, I've, I've, I've had that at I've always worked throughout the summer and it's it's never been an issue. I actually find it, I find some peace in that. I think it's, uh, you kind of, you're often surprised by how much of your day rotates around what you eat and drink and when you're going to eat and drink it. Um, and I think to come away from that and just be, have your mind freed up for some other things and focused on some perhaps more more important issues is, is a relief in some ways. Okay, very interesting. Now, you have moved to Los Angeles what are yes. some of the things that you're most excited about experiencing in Los Angeles living there? Sunshine. I'm dying <laughs> for some sunshine. I've been in the UK far too long. Uh, you know, I think I'm definitely excited about the weather. I'm excited about an outdoor lifestyle. I love to go running. Um, and that's something that I've, uh, you know, I really want to make use of whilst I'm here. I want to, I've taken a place that's relatively near the beach. Nice. Yeah. I figure if I'm in LA, I want to feel like I'm in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to start each day 
or maybe six, six, five, six days of the week at least anyway, uh, with a really nice long run by the beach. I, f- I find that great just to kind of decompress, to open my mind up, to declutter. That's a, a really good way I find to start the day. So uh, I'm looking forward to that outdoor lifestyle. You know, there's also, I think LA seems to me to be a, a great place. There's loads on offer in terms of culture, in terms of, oh gosh, I don't know, movies, places to eat, everything. I, I think you, you can't, you'd have to do something wrong to not enjoy your time in LA. And this is the first time you've ever lived in the United States, right? Yes, that's right. So when I was with um, CNN, I would spend time in Atlanta um, intermittently. But that was, you know, it was always temporary. It was always flying, going to the hotel and and be there for a while. Um, So this is the first time that it's been a permanent base. And what are the toughest things about leaving England? Um, You know, I feel like I've always been relatively transient the last few years. So I've I've generally moved every two, three years. I've moved country. So you get used to that. You get used to the the stress of moving and and kind of having to start again. I think that's often probably the most difficult part is that you start from scratch somewhere again. You have to try and build up some roots, roots a circle of friends, you know, make sure that you have kind of people that you can enjoy life with wherever you are again. Uh, I think leaving family is probably the most difficult thing. You know, my dad had been a little bit unwell. So you you really value being close and you realize what a privilege it is actually to just be an hour train ride away. Uh, Obviously, now I'm a little bit further, but the world feels a much smaller place, I think, with FaceTime, with Skype, with all the opportunities we have. And as long as you can work around the time difference, then it should be fine. So... We're nearing the end of the interview. I appreciate you taking this much time. And, and I apologize because I don't think I'm going to be out in L.A. very much. They installed the camera Fox did in my apartment in New York. So <laughs> I think you're going to see me. By not a... sure what I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's very convenient for me, at least. But um, are there any particular sports things you're excited about attending in L.A.? Oh, for sure. So I definitely I would love to go to um, I want to go see the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did that, uh, I can't remember when that was, maybe, I don't know, a few months ago anyway, another time when I was here, uh, and I really enjoy that. I really like the NBA. I'd like to get to grips with American football. Don't feel that I understand it, um, but feel that I could enjoy it if I did. I'd like to go to MLS games as well, of course. I'd like to kind of get to to know the, the soccer over here, how it's played, what it feels like in the stands. I think if you're going to be talking about a sport in a country, it's really under- important to understand how the fans interact with it. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to do that. Uh, I'd love to go to UFC. That might surprise you. I've never <laughs> been, uh, but I'd be interested. And uh, I, I'm hoping, I still do boxing as well for Sky, so I right. still host some of their big boxing events. And uh, I'd definitely like to try and go to some fights whilst I'm over here. Maybe not LA, obviously, but Vegas, New York. I'd like to fly around and do that too. Nice. Now, you mentioned boxing. Are there other sports besides soccer that you might be working in here in the U.S. or even things outside of sports? Um, in the U.S. at present, there are no plans for that, but I'm very open if you have any offers coming my way, Grant. Um, uh, no, I think at the moment it's it's boxing. It feels like, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, I want to give everything I have to, to what I'm doing with Fox and, you know, with Bundesliga, FA Cup, Europa League, World Cups coming up. There's certainly, you know, an awful lot to, to get to grips with and to make sure that you're across. Um, I'm going to be flying back and forth every so often to do these box office uh, boxing events for Sky, which... I've really gotten into. I love the boxing. I love the atmosphere. It's great to do an outside broadcast because so much of what I do is is in a studio that that's actually really fun to be there and kind of feel the often very it's really hostility is, is generally what you feel in those boxing crowds. And I, I, I enjoy that energy. I enjoy that it matters so much to people and kind of the, the drama of it, which is what it, why I would like to go and watch some UFC. I love the drama of sports. 
I am very curious now to watch you at a UFC event and see if you have this sort of bloodlust or something, because that would be fascinating. Uh, you're going to have to convince me on UFC. I, I just haven't bought in yet, but I you're know not that? Okay. A, a ton of people have bought in. A lot of people here in the U.S. associate you with women's soccer because of your role in Women's World Cup in 2015. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you're going to be doing a lot of men's soccer. But what is your take on women's soccer, how it's viewed in the U.S., how it's viewed in England, and how uh, maybe that's changing in England now that their national team did so well at the previous World Cup? Yeah, I think that was a real watershed moment. I mean, obviously, what was kind of a shame for me, not a shame at all on a personal level, but I didn't actually get to see how it was, how it was treated and how it was broadcast firsthand in the UK because I was over in Vancouver myself. But from certainly from what I've understood and what I've read about it, you know, the, the coverage that it got was unprecedented. And yes, it always helps if you've got a national team that's performing and for the women's national team to be outperforming time and again, the men's national team as a woman, I enjoy seeing that. You know, I think that's great. I think it's important that it, it's gotten the respect that it's gotten because I think for a long time, men's football was so dominant in the UK that there really wasn't any room given to it. And it certainly wasn't given the respect that it deserved. And probably for me, it was a real eye opener being involved over with, with Fox in Vancouver because I just... I got to spend a lot of time with female athletes. I got to spend time with, with those professional soccer players. And you realize, you know, what they're going through for this sport in terms of not everybody can, can be professional. There are people who, you know, they're, they're moms, they've got other jobs. They're, they're, they're really busy people who are achieving at such an incredible level. You know, and if you think about the privileges that men have in, in soccer in the UK, that's, that's just not the case. Um, so I loved seeing that grit, that determination that so many of them show. And, you know, to see the American national team win the World Cup was incredible. And hopefully that's really cemented the interest, you know, for the next few years to come, because I think it's always you have to take the next generation with you, don't you? And, and I think that that will have been really key in doing that in America. And certainly I think it's been key in doing that in, in the UK. Well, Kate Abdo is going to be on Fox Sports quite a bit on your television. Cannot wait. Coming up. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Los Angeles, to the United States, Kate. It's great to have you and congratulations. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Grant. That means a lot. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Kate Abdo as well as everyone in digital media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out including my recent interviews with John Green, Colin Udo, Bob Bradley, and Juan Carlos Osorio. You can subscribe to and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.